0: Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen.
1: The title of the book, Bad Vespers, a novel of assassination. And the author is Steven Schnitzer. And Stephen joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Stephen. Hello, good afternoon. Well, this is a novel about a deadly assassin, the stone-cold killer, uh, fact, he's known as the Hun, as you write about him. Let me read a little bit more about your book, Bad Vespers, a novel of assassination. You say, he has his own set of rules, and he reserves the right to change them whenever he pleases. He doesn't torture. He doesn't steal art or paper. He simply kills. And for him, that's enough. Well, that's... Uh enough right there uh, we could talk the rest of the time just about that paragraph i suppose so, <laughs> so what why the uh the theme why did you write this book steven
2: well i've had a long experience in part dealing with uh, both violent crime on the prosecutorial side and on the defense side and uh, as one passes through life I reached the conclusion that the general public remains uninformed when they listen to the Hollywood motif of how it's done and what really happened. So I thought, in part, I would bring some truth to the topic and reveal some of the observations I've been able to develop over 45 years of practice.
1: Because as you say, a lot of your friends are murderers, and you know exactly where, they're, where they are right now.
2: I know. Well, a lot of them, happily, are still roaming around free. And um, some of those who have been on death row for 13 or 17 or longer periods of time are also been freed. And um, that occurs because of the system itself. We observe that there's a man who tomorrow... Is scheduled to uh, lose his life based on a crime he committed 20 years ago, and there's a great groundswell for that not to happen. Unfortunately, I don't think that's going to be the case, because his shot at freedom was uh, when he was standing on his feet the first time around. And if you don't make it out in time, you're stuck in the system, and sooner or later it will catch up with you.
1: Now, this is a novel, but at the same time there's a lot of truth to this? There's a tremendous
2: amount of truth to it. And the circumstances are, if you look at it statistically, which is difficult for most citizens, the people who uh, commit crimes of passion, uh, matricide, killing their parents, uh, killing their spouse or lover, those people are invariably caught, brought to trial, and convicted. Uh, People who do it for a living, uh, are much better at it, um, prepossessingly well thought about the nature of it, and some of them, like the Hun, bring their own form of uh, morality to it. You'll notice that the Hun defers in killing children, uh, he's not too hot on women. You have to explain to him why you feel uh, justified in engaging in services, and uh, finally, He has to be involved in a concept that it's morally merited from his own standpoint. He isn't going to kill somebody's spouse for insurance policies or the rest of that. And in my experience, you'll find that's really uh, rather true of uh, people who do it for a living and who aren't, uh, you know, first-time-out bunglers.
1: Did you fashion this character after any one person or just a collective kind of image of those you've met along the way?
2: When you hang out in uh, the east coast of uh, New Jersey, uh, you meet many people. Many of them are of Italian origin. The word in Italian is menest. This means a form of gathering. So in this instance, it's a gathering of different personalities, experiences, and people have uh, dealt with or helped over the years. No one person in particular.
1: Now, this assassin, uh, you say he's trained under his father. Uh, what do you mean by that?
2: Uh, basically, when he was uh, a child, he learned uh, peacefully the uh, hunting and killing skills, even if it was uh, on you know, deer and other animal. So uh, there's a lot to be learned, uh, particularly at an early age of deep influence. I myself learned to hunt at a very early age in the woods. I uh, grew up in a farming environment for many months throughout the year, and you develop a uh, experience. Uh, sometimes the experience is quite negative, and people kill a deer or animal for the first time. Uh, don't uh, feature the sport any longer. Some do, and I think in some instances that leads to a progression of the personality whether it's in the military or uh, someplace else we know psychologically that many people end up serial killers where uh, unfortunately people who tortured or harmed animals in the washing machine or other acts of uh, terrible consequence but the point of it is uh, that's an experience of killing too so it's not um, unique uh... or invariably let's say Um, uncommon that uh, people who learn to kill uh, animals at an early age go on to doing something better in later life as far as humans are concerned
1: and then he went on to join the US Marine Corps
2: well in the Marine Corps um, when you get to sniper category it's the same as being uh, a Green Beret or anything else of distinction and uh, these are people who are very substantially trained, learn how to pull the trigger uh, know what they're doing, have absolutely no regrets about it, and uh, don't get uh, sick or dysfunctional after a kill.
1: So he's just uh, a machine, as you will.
2: Well, yes, but it's pretty good. Good training, uh, like lawyers, an assassin is not a, particularly a moralist. Uh, if you're going to defend people who commit capital crime, uh, then under that circumstances. It's not for you to judge them. And under under our Constitution, which remains inviolate, the uh, circumstances are such that you can uh, defend somebody appropriately. And if even a guilty person walks free, that's the way the system is designed. And that's the way the system works. And it's appropriate uh, that it do so. Because otherwise we're uh, all going to be in trouble and no one's going to get an adequate defense just because someone said thou thou shall not help someone charged with a uh, terrible crime. The other thing is, um, in our modern society, you have to make a distinction between the law of man and God's law. And that is, God's law is such that God says thou shalt not kill. Uh, The various states of the United States don't say that. What they say is, if you kill somebody, and you get caught, and you get prosecuted, and you get convicted, then here's what happens to you, and they discuss it in sentencing terms, so that's not particularly moralistic, and I'll tell you something else, too, it's not particularly complex, that law takes place in about a page and a half show, They're dealing with the circumstances of defense of someone who's been a murderer, Uh, Involves in part ingratiating yourself to their personality and doing whatever you can do mentally to overcome the resources of a government in a state which are unlimited while you use what's between your ears, your brain power to work your way out of whatever situation they may have. I have another observation on it too and that is not only are you forming an attorney-client relationship but Usually someone who commits violent crime or who does it on a paid basis for murder doesn't um, reach out for help from someone who they think is uh, weaker or less distinguished uh, in their abilities than they are. So the circumstances it's necessary to uh, develop a relationship where you remain the um, stable environment on top of the proceedings rather than to be uh, cajoled, coerced or otherwise influenced into doing something the client wants, which may be uh, injurious or deleterious to the ultimate outcome, which they can't perceive. So usually an effective criminal lawyer is regarded by his client as probably worse than they are.
1: This deadly assassin known as the Hun, uh, he's extremely intelligent and he becomes the personal bodyguard of the President of the United States.
2: I believe there are such people and that they routinely exist and that the, pe- the presidents of uh, our country have uh, their own intimate or most intimate level of people and resources that they can turn to when they feel unprotected. And I don't mean the Secret Service and I don't mean the uh, other well-known organizations that are well-described uh by Congress who are there for aid and help. I think uh, smart presidents uh, were conscious of the uh, real exposure that they have as their own uh, separate devices for reigning in one piece.
1: One of the president's close friends, a congressman, uh, his name is Congressman Blackwell in your book, uh, he's killed and the Hun, I guess, is enlisted. Or does he take that uh, opportunity on his own?
2: Well, um, he's bonded with the president to begin with. The president's upset, and the projection of upsetness by the president himself is sufficient for the uh, hunt to get started. On the other hand, even though he's self-motivated and self-started, you'll notice the theme throughout the book is that he's reporting back uh, to the president on developments, and uh, it's not unusual. Very often a president will say uh, that he's turned the other eye and it's no blessed no bleach, but certainly they know what's going on, and uh, they're not uh, novices or immune to the circumstances around them, which lead to what they want.
1: So his purpose now is revenge?
2: His purpose is to sort out, A, any ongoing difficulty, with regard to the president. In other words, it is his friend uh, brought down because somehow, given their close political prior association and collegiate background, it's some type of an either warning or inroad to the president's own safety. Uh, that's a consideration that the president and he have. And the second thing is um, it's a matter of doing the president's bidding. They need to get to the bottom of it. need to sort out what it is. And they need to uh, determine what the appropriate uh, penalty to fit the crime uh, should be.
1: So have you let your imagination just uh, expand to sharing with us some new technologies as well in this uh, area of assassination?
2: Well, I think, um, let's put it this way. The technologies may have been there for some period of time, salting the president out of Camp David, you know, uh, the unfortunate circumstance on 9-11 where George Bush flies to California because they don't know where the real trouble is, but with distinction, I might say, returns to address the American public from the White House rather than hiding. I think these rules are in play, but I think they're flexible and variable depending upon the events, the circumstances, and the confrontation of what's going to occur in protecting uh, our American presidents.
1: And the Hun, is uh, he seems to be a person who really ponders history, and the death of Caesar is something that, did that kind of mold him? Uh,
2: I think the Hun is probably uh, somewhat more distinct than a lot of the people I've met in this Uh, profession, and that is uh, he's a bit of an intellectual. I haven't met too many of those. Every once in a while, you'll see somebody where, you know, the old adage is, uh, if they only hadn't turned to a life of crime, they would have been a captain of industry. But intellectual prowess among assassins is far and few between. But on the other hand, um, I suppose if you have an interesting intellectual disposition of your own, it pours over into your character.
1: So killing for political reason really can be justified. In fact, it's a respectful, good idea.
2: Well, there is among uh, the leaders of the world a United Nations uh, provision that they shouldn't be killing each other. So most of them have signed off on that agreeing that we won't do it. Now that seems to have fallen somewhat. Into disrepair with what they call the uh, Arab uprising spring, because we certainly haven't been standoffish in uh, putting numbers on what are people who are still political leaders of foreign countries. So maybe it's more uh, disrespected now than it was 10 years ago. But Kennedy and Castro, I mean, you could get down the list, uh, you could go back to Roosevelt and Hitler. The point of it is that despite whatever the protocols are, uh, the concept of killing a world leader is alive and well, and it has different circumstances, whether it's garnering, oil, paying back debts, uh, you tried to hurt my father, young Bush, or whatever else it gets to be.
1: Any closing thoughts, Stephen, about your novel Bad Vespers, a novel of assassination?
2: Only this, that if you liked the novel... The real edition is coming because uh, the next book down the pipeline is the masked true adventures of the period people I've uh, dealt with over the last 45 years. So they will be based on individual stories, as you asked earlier, and although not identifiable uh, by themselves having been masked, as I said before, Uh, they'll nevertheless be the actual true vignettes of um, these people's lives.
1: Stephen, how do we get your book?
2: Um, This particular book is available through iUniverse, and the next book, in the circumstances, uh, will be similarly true to the publisher.
1: Thank you, Stephen. Thanks for being with us on iUniverse Radio.
2: Okay, thank you very much, and uh, my only hope is that the Hun returns. Have a good
0: day. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages.
3: Ready for the most current feel-good gossip? Then check out Daytime with Donna with your host, Donna Intercastle and sidekick Nina Fry every Friday afternoon at 2, 1 Central on toginet.com.
0: You're sampling
3: Donna is a charismatic, market-driven entrepreneur who was part of the team that founded iVillage.com, which is the largest content-driven community for women today. Donna and Nina are here to empower you, motivate you, and encourage you in all aspects of your life. It's like Oprah on the radio, plus your chance to win great prizes. All the way up to a $500 Visa gift card. For more on Donna Intricasso, check out her website, intro Then join us for the show, Daytime with Donna, with your host, Donna Intracasso, and sidekick Nina Fry. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Evermore, people have the means to live, but no meaning to live for.
0: To iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen.
1: The title of the book, The President's Ultimatum. And the author is John Cavey. And John joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, John. Hi, Steve. This is going to be a very timely book, a very timely discussion because it deals with the Israeli Palestinian conflict. Let me read what you've written about your book. You say, In a final desperate attempt to establish his legacy, the 43rd President of the United States, Gerald W. Burke, issues an ultimatum to the leaders of Israel and Palestine to resolve their conflict on his terms or else. Well, that obviously uh, can trigger all kinds of unforeseen consequences, as you say. Uh, And the President, he is a target by al-Qaeda right away, isn't
4: he? Absolutely. Al-Qaeda wanted to discourage the president from solving the problem because it felt that as long as the problem persisted between Palestine and Israel, the Arabs would side with the Palestinians and it would cause chaos throughout the Arab world with the hatred of Israel and the and hatred of the United States to boot.
1: What's the interest here, John? How did you get focused on this?
4: I was always wanted to write, but my job didn't give me the time, so I was an avid reader, and I have read a lot of history, both in my, in my early years and in my latter years. I, I um, had the American Legion Award in school for, the, for getting the highest grade in history, so I was always cons- I was always interested in history. The the conflict picked my interest. Uh, uh, always from the day it began in, in 1946, basically 47, and I've been following it. And I've done a lot of reading. And in my latter years, uh, when I was laid up uh, after I was retired, and uh, two books picked my interest. Really, uh, a, a book by the name of uh, History of Israeli and Palestinian conflict by Mark Kessler, getting inspired by a guy by the name of Gordon Thomas, who wrote a lot about the Mossad and had very good contacts with them. And uh, it's, it's a fictional book, but it's really a non-fictional book. Well, when I was laid up in the hospital, I've read these two books, and I got the idea. I said, hey, when I'm going to write a book about this, and it's going to be a fictional book, and I'm going to weave it around the, the this whole incident. So that's the way. That's what where how I got interested in the subject matter, and how I got the thoughts for the uh, for the book.
1: So we have President Burke with this political politically motivated kind of stance, or is he just this uh, world statesman that's trying to solve uh, the area's problem?
4: Well, it's both. You know, he is, is trying to solve the area, area pro, area's problems because he believes that in order to solve the problem of terrorism, he has to solve the problem of mon, uh, Muslim fundamentalism. And as long as Israel is at at not at peace with its neighbors, that's not going to happen. Uh, and so that, that, that was his one motivation. And he also had a little bit of hubris. He wanted to be known as the president that finally solved the problem and end up in the history books as, you know, his only achievement uh, on the world stage.
1: Then there's Kathy Romano, Homeland Security Terrorism Analyst. What part does she play?
4: Well, she... Plays the part of uh, the catalyst that sort of s- semi-solves the problem of, of, of the assassination attempts on the president, and um, it, it, it's a it's a complicated plot because uh, it ends up that she knew she knew the perpetrator uh, of, of the that was involved in the plots. And it was the husband of a best friend, and, um, and, a, and a friend of hers also. Uh, and, and the plot revolves around that. You know, the, uh, she follows the clues, and finally comes to the conclusion. But, uh, you know, after a, many, many things happen that, that, um, that impact the story.
1: So we have an Israeli undercover agent recruited by al-Qaeda.
4: Yeah, he, he Israel decided that with the advent of, of the missile systems that they had had to have an early warning uh you know, they had they had to be warned early if if, if one of their uh enemies wanted to attack them and uh they infiltrated a spy high in higher in the hierarchy of the uh Iraqi government, which they considered their main threat at that time. And uh, with, when the Iraqi was was um, uh, invaded by the coalition forces, uh, the, coal- uh, the, 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 the Iraq, Iraq, Iraq was defeated and the, their, their spy was recruited by al-Qaeda because he was part of the insurrection at the at the behest of the uh, Israeli Mossad director general, and so he became really a spy in Al Qaeda after the insurrection, and the, and the story revolves around that. Now he is he is considered a full member of, of Al Qaeda, and but he's be, being manipulated by the by the director general, of the Israeli Mossad.
1: And that's uh, his name, Ari Bugari. Is that what it is?
4: The, 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 um, the spy is Ari Bugari, mm-hmm. and the director general is Shalom Itain, uh, who's got an agenda of his own.
1: So everyone is being hunted here. All right. Uh, you know the Ari's hunting the president, and uh, the Mossad director is hunting Ari.
4: Well, he's manipulating Ari into believing that he, Harry, uh is doing something good for Israel at the same time uh, where Harry is after the president at the behest of al-Qaeda, and Director General leads Harry to believe that he's tipping the president off, and that's why the president is not, is not getting assassinated. But um, I, I won't go into all right. the detail, but right. uh, you know, that's that's where the plot revolves around.
1: Now you also say that Kathy Romano, this Homeland Security terrorism analyst, she follows a labyrinth of clues that lead to a shocking discovery that can forever shatter their friendly relations between Israel and the United States.
4: Yep. And uh, that is that she finds out late in the game that uh the assassination attempts are being sort of uh, that that the Director general outside of Israeli policy is sort of manipulating that the attacks against the president
1: so we have members of Congress involved in this
4: uh, no uh, members of Congress are, are, are involved in uh, in giving uh, the president a hard time, which uh, detracts from his uh, his main duties and and, and 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 sort of propels the president to, to 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 focus on the Israeli thing to get him out of the mess at home that the Congress is creating.
1: And of course, then you have the powerful Jewish lobby at work as well.
4: Yeah. Uh, they're manipulating the Congress uh, to uh, uh, oppose the president on the on his policy, and um, that's that's where you've he, he got a, a a conflict between the president and the Congress.
1: So the big question is, is this Israeli conservative alliance, uh, are they part of the plot to assassinate the president?
4: Actually, the, the, the conservative alliance in, in, in Israel, the Mossad uh, directed general general is in that job because of that, that the conservative alignment has has payoff for uh, getting the Likud party in power, Israel require, requires a coalition government. No party, no major party, has a majority, a clear-cut majority. So the party, party to, to, to rule would have to go get a coalition together, and the, the um, coalition and the far-right coalition uh, supported Likud Party, and as Payoff got the post of Director General.
1: Well, we may not have an ultimatum from the President today, but it's just as complex. Uh, your novel is just right out of the news.
4: Yep, it's, uh, you know, this week uh, the uh, Palestine is going to vote, go before the General Assembly, and they're going to pass um, uh, for statehood, and Probably they will get it in the General Assembly, but I think the U.S., as it has for all U.N. resolutions on Palestine and Israel, uh, will veto it. And that will re- raise a great deal of consternation on the part of the Arab world, which will uh, not enhance our standing with them and uh, cause more uh, bad blood between the Muslim world and, uh, and the United States.
1: You advocate that energy independence is vital if we are to avoid a war there.
4: Yes, because uh, there will be a war, and if we don't get our act together and become energy independent, we're going to be in for a terrible economic shock. And we could, if, if we could avoid the war, we could save a great deal of money uh, in in, in, in carrying out a war, uh, that's, that's, that's the problem in the Middle East. And it doesn't have to be an Israeli uh, Arab, Arab or Muslim war. It could be the Shi against the Sunnis, which is also likely and, and, and bound to happen. And we would be, get caught in the crosshairs because it would cut off our supply of oil and it would affect our economy uh, to a large degree. So that that's why we should be we should get as soon as possible to a point where uh, we could get energy independent. We have enough energy in this country, uh, offshore and and in the continental United States, uh, to become energy independent. And um, you know, but Congress hasn't been able to articulate a policy. Because of the political ramifications of the various uh, people who are campaigning against uh, one thing or another, the coal people are against the oil people, the oil people are against uh, the gas people. But now I think, I think things are coming together because uh, Exxon, for example, is buying a lot of gas properties, and um, and. We're not paying as much attention to the, uh, to the green issue, which is, um, you know, in my mind, at least secondary, we should worry about global warming, but global warming is a couple of centuries off, and we have to solve today's problems today, and that we'd be better off focusing on that than uh, trying to predict the weather 100 years from now.
1: Well, you call this a tale of adventure, betrayal, and redemption. And the president, President Burke, he must do everything in his power to salvage the peace agreement and his presidency. So it sounds like a modern-day political mess. And, of course, on the brink of war, uh, a lot of intrigue, a lot of twists and turns, I'm sure.
4: Yeah, yeah. In fact, everyone who's read it... uh you know, is, is, uh, says, well, I thought I had the answer, but I didn't.
1: <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. That's the best compliment, right? right? Right. Yes, that is the best compliment. Well, the title of the book, The President's Ultimatum, the author is John Cavi. John, tell us how to get your book.
4: Uh, we could get it uh, on my website, JohnCavi.com. Or at, through my website, and it's on Amazon, and it's at uh, Barnes & Noble's, and it's at, 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 at iUniverse. Uh, the the um, e-book copy is on iUniverse. It's not in, on Amazon yet uh, or Barnes & Noble's, but it will be, I think, in about a couple of weeks.
1: JohnCavvy.com. Cavi is spelled C-A-V-I. JohnCavvy.com. John, thanks for being on iUniverse Radio.
4: Hey Steve, I enjoyed it.
1: Thank you a lot. Thank you, John.
0: You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages.
5: How to invest. Where to invest? Where to save? Where to get the right insurance? What to do about taxes? Should I relocate my business or ever purchase a property? That's where Go to My Radio Show comes in. Join host Chris Holt Tuesday afternoons at 1 Pacific, 3 Central, on GoToMyRadioShow.com. Choose the right financial professional and learn more about the products and services while learning the terminology and strategies used by these professionals. Go to My Radio Show is unbiased, and Chris Holt, your host, will ask the hard questions and take calls to help you connect with the right professional who can help you better handle your financial and business choices. GoToMyRadio show is not a financial services company and does not offer any financial advice, but we will help you make the right choice when it comes to planning your financial future and most of all, choosing the right program and the right professional for you. Go to My radio show with Chris Holt Tuesday afternoons at 1 Pacific, 3 Central on GoToMyRadioShow.com. Hey, moms, juggle your hats with our mom of many
3: hats, Angie Mozilla, Friday afternoons at 5 Eastern, 4 Central, on the mom to mom Network. Moms are always juggling their hats. show and Angie check out her website azmamannyhats.com she is a strong woman she is powerful she is wonderful and she is valuable mom of many hats with Angie Mazzillo Friday afternoons at 5 eastern 4 central on the mom to mom network
0: welcome back to iUniverse radio with host Steve Jorgensen
1: The title of the book, Rising from the Dark Side of Life, One Man's Spiritual Journey from Fear to Enlightenment. And the author is Joseph Pallord. And Joseph joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Joseph.
6: Hi, hello, Steve. How are you doing?
1: Great to have you with us. You're going to take us on a literal journey, your journey through life, where you literally have gone from fear to enlightenment. But first, let me read a few things that You've written about your book, just so everyone understands this story, your story. This book is the story of my life, a person that almost froze to death, almost starved to death, and fought with a demon that wanted my soul so bad it wouldn't quit until it was defeated by the grace of God to whom I was calling upon for my rescue. After I was rescued by the grace of God, I could see a brighter an easier life ahead of myself and live with peace of mind. Therefore I could and now live a happier life and aim for more goals to reach. And yes. to share your story so others can have hope as well, correct? Yes, that's true. Well, that's quite right. Well very good Joseph. When did you know when did you know that you needed to write this book? What what was the, the event or what was the motivation that created this?
6: I became a, a Christian in 1984, and afterwards, uh, of course, uh, maybe you know that I've written another helpful book before this. Uh, that the name of it is Both, uh, "Both Feet on the Spiritual Path." So I was uh, I was guided. Uh, I believe that God wanted me to write this book, helpful book, and then this one here, and uh, that was to reach out to people uh, that uh, that may be living in the same kind of problem that I that I've been in and uh, it was uh, such a disaster in my life in my younger age and and i thought uh, i was inspired to uh, to write this book and share this information and experiences to uh, to anyone that's willing to uh, to read and uh, study and, le- and learn from it uh, we know that uh, all over the world there's a lot of people that are living in uh, misery and darkness and uh, problems uh, difficulties you name it and uh, sometimes, many times, they don't. Uh, they don't seem to be able to find uh, the answer to the question, and uh, they don't seem to be able to reach out. Uh, they don't know how to reach out uh, for help for this kind of help, to, so that they can get out of darkness and live in uh, in, a, in a better life and uh, see the light ahead of themselves and. Uh, so uh, my experience uh, i believe uh, i have to share this with the world with everybody that is uh, that's willing to that needs this help or even this uh, just somebody that is that doesn't experience the same kind of life as i did it could be a help to them to help others also you that's talk study.
1: you talk about being in a family uh, growing up in as you put it harsh Poverty. Now, I'll explain yes. what that means. Harsh poverty.
6: Yes, it was. It was. Uh, it was very bad because, see, uh, those in the fifties and sixties, which we know that wasn't very far uh, after the Second World War, and, uh, and uh, well, most of the countries in the world were in poverty by then because of the wars, and uh, so it was pretty hard to make ends meet those days, and uh, it wasn't. Like it is nowadays to get help uh, from the government, like some of them is a uh, welfare, and, this, and there was no such a thing then those days, and uh, and uh, like for and for us in my family, which we were a very large family, we were twelve twelve children, we was fourteen with uh, mom and dad, and uh, so that was uh, it was very hard to find for the father to find a job to feed a big family like that. There was no. Uh, In fact, uh, he had a job for a while that was uh, working on a railroad track, was getting a dollar a day. So can you imagine the poverty with uh, feeding 14 people with a dollar a day, you know, so uh, and then it went from uh, it went from bad to worse, you know, and we and there was some uh, sickness in the family among children and uh, so that there there was uh, doctors to pay and this and that and the. It seemed like there was no end to it. It was always, every time my parents tried to do something to to succeed in life, it was always a blockage in a way, always something that would uh, make them fall. So uh, we were uh, we were in poverty and we stayed in poverty. We, we there was it seemed like there was no way out of it. But uh, but we uh, afterwards after I grew up and I kind of uh, I, I got to know some of the reasons why there was such poverty in our family and why it was uh, so hard to get out of that darkness that we're in. And uh, so this, why, that this is the main reason why I believe that everyone should read this book. Because there's so much information for everyone in this book. Even though uh, somebody, like I said a while ago, uh, even though as somebody that doesn't live that kind of life, it can be a great help for them to help somebody else.
1: So you remember times when you literally didn't have any shoes
6: yes yes
1: yes i I one
6: summer it was we were living in a house in a small house and it was uh, probably the worst house i ever lived in my life Uh, it was uh, for about five or six weeks that uh, we didn't have any shoes to wear or i didn't have any shoes to wear so i had to go to school bare feet and uh, as we know Uh, uh, children, young children, they they, they seem like a joke to them, and they always want to step on your toes, and they think that's uh, quite a joke, but I got it a few times from them, and the top of my toes were bleeding, and uh, so I had to watch for them all the time. It it was, uh, you know, for a child, seven, eight years old, that's uh, that's pretty harsh, you know, and, uh, but uh, those things we, uh, sometimes we, uh, whoever or whatever caused this, hard times in the in my younger age uh, it it has to be forgiven and uh, live on and so uh, but nevertheless uh, I think the good lord is not everybody that have to live through that because I'm sure there is lots that we wouldn't make it through you that talk I it.
1: you talk about living in a haunted house with two entities That's
6: right there was a there was uh, two of them. There was an adult and a and a child. But at the time, I got so uh, so scared and uh, fearful of the of, of the the adult one that I didn't realize at the time that there was a child in there also that that was that uh, was uh, probably more friendly, but probably looking for somebody, another child to play with or whatever. But I didn't. I was so full full of fear that time. I didn't realize that uh, this child was could have been a loving, lovely child that wanted looking for somebody to play with to, uh, help, help him or her to get out of the the bondage that he was stuck in. And uh, but uh, until afterwards, uh, then I realized what what happened with this child afterwards. But uh, not what happened, but why was this child was searching for something or somebody. But uh I not see such a friendly thing about the other the other one because uh, that one was a very merciful one
1: you call yourself a hard working man you don't quit very easily, and you also talk about the universal laws uh yes. what do you mean by the universal laws
6: well uh, universal laws I call that uh, god's universal laws it's uh, uh universal laws is uh, it's something uh, like uh, a power, like in the wind. The wind is a power in the wind. There's a uh, uh, we can't see it. We can't control it. Uh, when it rains, we can't control that. Those are universal laws that I call them. And uh, some people say, "Well, it's a uh, it's sent by God." But uh, whatever, whatever it's, it is or not, it's. Uh, uh, I call it the God's universal laws. All everything that happens is created by God and uh, happening by God. So uh, that's the reason why I do that. But there's lots to be, not uh, a lot to be understood about all those things because it's part of the reality of life. It's uh, we live in this stuff, in these laws, and we we have to be careful with that. If we that uh, we go accordingly with those laws, otherwise. Well, what can we do? We'd be we'd be failing because we can't control those laws. So we have to accept them. And uh, the same with the uh, with God's laws: uh, be good to others, love your neighbors, and all this and that. That's that's also God's laws that we we all know that we should obey and uh, live accordingly. So that's that's all in the same package, really. But uh, it is hard for somebody. That doesn't understand all those laws to uh, to live in the, in harmony with the rest of society, or live with uh, true happiness and understanding. Because if you don't understand all those things, you can't put all those in the proper in their proper places. Uh, then it, it makes it, it makes your life harder to deal with because you know, you don't understand this. So, uh, all the studies in that book. All the, the explanation about it. And uh, everybody should read that book and study those because it's uh, very helpful to everyone.
1: What made you become successful in your life after living such a tough early life as a child? Well, uh, when I
6: when I was nine years old, and I finally had that uh, that uh, the demon spirit uh, uh, chased out of the house and uh, got it beaten and overcome with it with the uh, with the grace of God. Then I became a Christian, and I and uh, without even realizing it at first, uh, I didn't know what was happening to me. I was uh, after this was all done, and said with I knew that it was over with with this uh, with this demon spirit around the house. But uh, I received a gift of tongue. If you know what that is, uh, and I didn't know what that was, so I didn't understand anything about it until later on in life. But uh, it's a uh, uh, my life changed once once that evil spirit got, out, got away from the house, away from the family. Then my whole life changed. And I started seeing a brighter future ahead of myself. Uh, whatever I, I would try, instead of having uh, struggles like before, always it seems like somebody was putting uh, uh, sticks in the spokes, as we say, uh, to make us stumble all the time and never be able to succeed. Then I, afterwards, I started seeing a brighter future and I could uh, starting to, to see myself succeeding in th- different things that I would try. It didn't matter what I would try after that. It seemed like oh, I always succeeded and then and get better and better and better as the years went by. So uh, yes, this, that was a big change in my life there, from not being able to do anything to be able to start feeling myself succeeding in life. Even though I was young, I, I could uh, un, understand that.
1: You've been a carpenter. You've actually acted in a movie. You've been a town councillor, a fire chief. Uh, you're the first ever chairman of the police commission for communities in Canada. Uh,
6: yes. Yes, uh, yes, I, uh, well, this is, uh, this is what I was talking about, about the, the successes in my life. It uh, seemed like uh, after that. Uh, Every time I try to do something, well, of course you always have to be dedicated and you have to be willing to to try not quit too easy, uh, as you mentioned a while ago that I that I don't. uh, I'm a hardworking man. I don't quit easy. Well, this is how we succeed, and uh, doesn't matter what I tried. I always. uh, But mainly, if you do something, if you try something, even though if it seems difficult, if it's to help somebody else. And you don't give up; you will succeed. It's uh, it's my uh, it's always a goal for me to reach. Always, when I find a way that uh, to help somebody in any way at all, see, there's a community or a person or a group or whatever. It, I don't quit. I'm determined to help, and I don't quit, and I will succeed in that. This these uh, these are goals that I reach for. I set for myself to reach, and. Uh, like this book, for instance, I, that's a goal that I set for myself to reach, and I'm reaching it. So, um, but I don't do that by myself. With the, with the help of the good Lord, uh, I'm succeeding.
1: So obviously you advocate discipline, self-control, and respect for others, a very important respect for others. Yeah, Yes, this was, uh, even though... My parents weren't
6: very well educated. My father, I couldn't even write his name, he just make us an X. But, uh, but my dad was uh, very strong on uh, on uh, dignity, self-respect, respect for others. Those things he was very, very strong on. And he always taught us, even though we're a uh, very big family and very poor and struggling all the time, at least he had that kind of love for us, the children, and he, he was teaching us those things, he always I'll repeat it. You have to have respect for others, especially for, for your elders. Uh, always, uh, if you do something good, you have dignity for yourself, self dignity and self respect. But if you don't, how can you have respect for yourself? So uh, those things uh, we we're learning that in a very young age, and uh, so I live with that and uh, remembering that in the back of my mind, and that very has been a very very positive. Uh, very big help for me through my life. To uh, very big help for my successes.
1: The title of the book: "Rising from the Dark Side of Life: One Man's Spiritual Journey from Fear to Enlightenment." And the author is Joseph Pellord. Joseph, tell us how to get your book. You can go on the internet. You can
6: uh, you can contact I Universe. Um, you can go in the, in the bookstores at the coal stores or. And uh, any any bigger store, uh, bookstores, and uh, and you uh, you can go under um, Christianity or uh, or uh, problems hard to solve uh,
1: things like that. You you will find you will find uh, you will find pretty easy. Thanks again, Joseph. Thank you for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Well, uh, thank you very much. Was well, a very, very pleasure for me speaking with you, and uh, uh, I wish you the best